Bill is the staff pastor at Grace City Church in Corvallis, so he helps to oversee all of the staff there. He's on the regular teaching team there as well, and we're very, very blessed to have him with us this morning. Thanks for being here, Bill. Thank you, Simon. Take it away. We are in the book of Revelation, are we not? Yes. And so uh, Simon very bravely has gotten us started. Uh, If you're familiar with your Bible, uh, it's the very, very last book of the New Testament. And we are moving today from Revelation 2 to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, so if on your phone or in your Bible or, uh, or just following along, uh, we're in Revelation chapter 3. I bring greetings from uh, Grace City, uh, Corvallis. Uh, we are so proud of the work that God is doing here. I, I cannot begin to tell you how just completely and totally excited we are with God, what God is doing here. You, you, you realize you defied the laws of gravity. Do you realize that? You're three years, and look at this place. All right? Nine, eight to nine out of church plants fail in the first three years. Look at you. Look what God has done here. And then you're going to defy the law of gravity again. You're trying, you're trying to buy a building. Um, and uh, see, but this God, God defies the law of gravity, does he not? That's, he's in that job. <laughs> He's in that job. And so um, congratulations to you. Thank you for the sacrifices. Thank you for the hard work. Thank you to your pastor and his wife, Shirley. God is doing a good thing here. And we're so excited to be part of it with you. So congratulations. I worked my way through college uh, working for a termite and pest control company in California. A home cannot be bought or sold in California unless it gets a clean bill of health from a termite and pest control country. It's quite a gig. <laughs> company, not country, company. Because you don't want to buy a house that's you know, being ravaged by termites, obviously. And so, uh, so the company I worked for, when a house was, was sold, they would go in and do an inspection, and then before everything can close, uh, the things that were on the inspection had to be taken care of. Not only did the company I worked for inspect for termites, they also uh, inspected for uh, uh, rot and, and water damage in the home. And I worked on the water damage side, and uh, so we'd end up uh, fixing a lot of kitchen floors and fixing a lot of bathroom floors and things like that. And so uh, we, uh, we were, went to a job uh, that, that we were supposed to do. We were supposed to tear out the entire uh, bathroom floor, bathroom shower, out, out into the hallway a little bit, and replace the floor. So no one was living at the time. The house had sold. The, the, the uh, old owner had moved out. The new owners hadn't come back in yet. And so uh, we went in to do the work, and we walked in, and we looked in the bathroom, and there was a brand-new vinyl floor. Brand-new. Brand-new shower. Brand-new carpet down the hallway flowing out. And we, we took one look at it, and we said, well, Obviously, someone else has done the work. So we left, locked everything up, called our boss, uh, and said, someone else has done the work. Everything in this room is absolutely brand new. And our boss told us, go back in. 
Go back in and take a hammer and tap on the floor. And start in the middle and tap, 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 and, and get closer to uh, the shower and the bathroom, and you'll discover what's going on. So we did. And we took a hammer, and we started tapping. Thump, 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 thump. And there was absolutely no sound the closer we got. Here's what the owner had done. Instead of fixing the rot, put a brand new floor on top and thought no one would know. (laughs) And it just took a hammer. Tap, 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 tap. (laughs) Today's letter to the church in Sardis is a hammer. It's a hammer that Jesus takes to our heart. Now, let me be very, very clear. It is not a hammer that Jesus takes to beat us up or to pound us. Jesus doesn't do that. That's what the enemy does. The accuser of the brethren pounds us with his hammer and leaves us bloody and bruised. That's not what Jesus is doing here. But this letter in Revelation 3 is a hammer where he just wants to tap in our heart. And he wants to show us what's true what's strong, what's sound, what's healthy, and what is not. And so that's where you are. The fifth letter to the letters to the seven churches, the letter to the church of Sardis. Can I read it? 3-1. And to the angel of church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. Yet you have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm so challenged by the fact that Simon has chosen the book of Revelation to walk you through. It's one of the most difficult books in the New Testament. You almost need a glossary to go through it, and maybe he'll give you a glossary because the language is very visual, it's very metaphorical, it's, it's very symbolic. But one of the great arguments in the book of Revelation, and, and you can almost line up scholars to the left and the right, is it, is it about history in the past, or is about prophecy in the future. People have staked their entire academic career, believe it or not, on these two, these two opinions. It's like, wow, there's got to be something else to fight about, but no, apparently not. Uh, there are those that are adamantly shown, no, this is history. This all was done in the first century with the, with the, with the, uh, the uh, sacking of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem, the fall of the Roman Empire. Everything in Revelation was fill, fulfilled in the first century. It's history. Or some 
some people string it out even further and find various eras of history, the Dark Ages, the Reformation, World War II, different people uh, tie different historical events to Revelation. But basically, they say it's history. See, look, history, 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 history. And then others go, you're all full of it. It's not history at all. It's prophecy. It's all about the future. Look at this hasn't happened yet, and this hasn't happened yet, and obviously Jesus hasn't returned and made everything new, right? That hasn't. It's all prophecy. And I would like to suggest to you that it's both, that it's both. And if you can get this, this image in your mind when you read the book of Revelation, it'll make sense to you. Get this image of your mind of a wheel turning in a circle. A wheel turning in a circle. But when a wheel turns in a circle, what does it also do? It moves forward, right? A wheel turning in a circle that moves forward. History, Revelation presents the cycles of history that go over and over and over and over again. And the, and the seals and the trumpets and the bulls and all the stuff. It's a cycle of history that started in the first century but has gone over and over again. We see history repeats itself, right? So we see this cycle of history over and over again. But that wheel is what? It's doing what? It's moving forward. So it's history and prophecy, the past and the future, as that cycle, the, the seals, the trumpets, and, and all the stuff that's going on, moves forward to a time when Jesus will return and make all things new. So have that picture in your mind. So when we come to the letters of the seven churches, is it a history or prophecy? It's both. These were real cities in a real area known today as Turkey, the area of Turkey, Asia Minor, Real cities, their real churches were in. It was history. John wrote the, these people from a real island off the coast of Asia Minor in the Aegean Sea of Patmos. This is real stuff. This really happened. The conditions that these churches existed in really, really existed at the time. And yet it's also prophecy in that we see the conditions of the churches repeated over and over and over and over again. We see that the history of the church from the beginning to the end till Christ returns and redeems us. These are conditions that you and I and any church could get into. So consequently, we have this here. One, so we have this here. Every letter has three critical parts to it. There is a commendation. There is correction. And there is counsel. Every one of these letters, Christ gives commendation to the church, he gives correction to the church, and then he gives counsel. Here's what you gotta do. Commendation, correction, counsel. Two churches receive no correction. Two churches. Do you remember what one is? Because you would have studied it. Smyrna. And the next one, Philadelphia, the one I, I would imagine you're studying next week, Philadelphia, two churches, no correction. Did I say no commendation? No. No correction. Two churches received no correction. It's just commendation and counsel, commendation and counsel. One church receives no commendation. <laughs> Laodicea, exactly right. 
But for the most part, what you're seeing here in these letters is a commendation of the church, what's going well, correction, what's not going well, and what they need to take care of, and then counsel. Here's what to do about it. So let's look at... Now, um, uh, this letter doesn't begin with commendation. It begins with correction. I know your works, middle of verse 2. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Here's what Jesus is saying here to this church. It's like a linoleum floor put over rot. <laughs> Your church, it's like a linoleum floor. Everything's rotten inside. Everything's dead inside. You have a reputation. You have a vinyl floor and new carpet and new tile. Everything on the outside looks super, super cool. But here's the problem. You put that vinyl over rot. I know your works. You are alive but inside you are dead. Jesus is addressing the spirit of our age. The spirit of our age is so concerned with outward appearance, aren't we? I mean, we're just so concerned. We have to have the right job. We have to have the right car. We have to live in the right apartment. We have to go to the right restaurants. We have to wear the right clothes. Our Facebook feed has to get lots of likes. Our Instagram has to be seen by everyone. There's a whole industry right now that is an industry of reputation management. <laughs> it's a whole industry. This is the spirit of our age. We are obsessed, absolutely and completely obsessed with outward appearance. Every, we have to look good. We have to get lots of likes. Our feed needs to be read by everyone. And we, everything has to look good. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, hey. Man looks on the outward appearance, right? Man looks on the outward appearance. But where does the Lord look? Friends, where does he look? He looks at the heart. And outwardly, we may look good. Outwardly, we may have a great job. Outwardly, we may be driving the right car. Outwardly, we may have the coolest apartment or the, or, the, or the most popular Facebook feed. But Jesus is saying that that is just simply vinyl over rotten wood. I know your works. I know your works. And you're empty inside. You're dead. You're hurting. And the, he, Jesus goes, thump, thump, takes the hammer. Thump, 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 thump. And maybe the Spirit of God is taking his hammer to your heart right now and saying, all right, there's some emptiness in my soul. There's some death inside. There's some need I have for a resurrection. I'm tired of living for the outward approval of outward appearances I want transformed within. That makes sense today? Let's look at a verse that Jesus said um, quickly. 
Jesus uh, used a metaphor from the New Testament. It's absolutely fascinating metaphor. In Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me explain a little bit this metaphor for you. When you passed, when you died in uh, Jesus' time, unlike today, they did not dig a hole and bury you in the ground. The, the extremely arid climate, hard clay, it just it couldn't be done. And so uh, uh, when people died and they were buried, they were put into a cave. Remember Jesus? After he was taken off the cross, where was he put? He was put in a cave where a stone was rolled over it. And then the stone can be rolled back, and they would put him in a cave, and that's the tombs. But after a while, they, you, get a, you get a tomb on your property and reduces the, 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 the value of the property, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful house. There's a tomb in the backyard. <laughs> well, I'm not going to buy it, you know? You get too many tombs hanging around, and, you know, people, uh, you know, this is kind of a shady neighborhood. Look at all the tombs, and, <laughs> right? You get what I'm saying? And, and so do you know what they did to spice things up? Guess what they did? They painted them. They painted them. Hey, this isn't a tomb. This is a white wall. <laughs> no tomb here. A beautiful white wall, you see? Right? So, no, that's our, that's our backyard with a white wall. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. It's kind of funny, isn't it? He says, here's what you do to your tomb so your property values don't go down. You'll, you'll paint them white and think no one notices. And think no one notices. And he says, this is silly to pay all this attention to the outward appearance when the real human condition is this. We are dead inside apart from Jesus Christ. We are empty inside. Whitewashing a tomb so that you can maintain your property value is as silly as pulling vinyl over rotten wood. It does nothing to the real problem. And what is the real problem? We need the life of the living God inside us, giving us resurrection and power and energy and enthusiasm. This is what God does. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's exposing our obsession with outward appearance and says, bring me your heart. Now let's go back to uh, Revelation 3 because what are we going to do about it? What do we do about this? Well, Jesus gives us three things to do. Three things to do. The first thing, wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die? Wake up. This last year, I uh, joined a, a fitness club in my neighborhood. Um, I was, I was uh, 
trying to stay in shape by, by just working out on my own. And I had like mixed success with that. And then there was this one of these clubs in the area. It was like 24-hour fitness, so you can go any time, which ended up, you know, I can go any time and didn't go. And so... <laughs> <laughs> which is really convenient, right? I can, like, for 24 hours, I can come up with excuses, right? <laughs> Why I don't want to work out. Uh, so this particular club uh, has classes, and it's the only way to work out there. As you go and you join these classes, and you do all these crazy things in classes, and you got all these classes all week long, and this has been awesome. Because you sign up for a class, and if you don't show up, they still charge you, <laughs> which is kind of painful. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's fun to go to a class, and you got a coach screaming at you and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's really kind of up my alley. Uh, I can be screamed at at home, or I can pay for someone to scream at me. <laughs> so, all right, uh, what's the choice? Um, so <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, so um, I, although I work at Grace, I'm a volunteer at Grace, I... Uh, I'm actually a, a leadership development specialist, so I, I work with uh, various corporations and companies, and I come in and develop their leaders, and uh, because God has blessed our company, I'm able to spend a day or two at Grace uh, doing leadership development for them. That's kind of the way it works out uh, and, uh, for me. So my days been, begin kind of early because I have East Coast client, uh, clients and <coughs> stuff like that. So I go, I go to work out late in the afternoon to this club. And I, I go to the club, and it's the weirdest thing. This happens all the time. I get there, and all I want to do is take a nap. <laughs> I'm sitting there on the bench before we work out, and I'm just utterly, because it's the end of my day. I've been working all day. It's the afternoon. I need something to eat. I'm just sitting there, and I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed with this uh, almost uncontrollable desire to sleep. And I'm yawning and yawning and everything. And then the coach bounces out of the room and goes, who's ready to work out? And I'm like, not me. Can I just take a nap while everyone works out? See, inertia is a very powerful thing. A body at rest does what? Stays at rest. And my coach coming out and start trying to kickstart and wake me up and get me out of my stupor that all I want to do is take a nap, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's saying, wake up. Inertia, whether it's physical or spiritual, inertia is a very powerful thing. And it'll keep you sluggish and it'll keep you uh, slow and it'll keep you in a spiritual stupor unable to do anything, and Jesus says, wake up, wake up. I didn't die on the cross for you to sleep your life away. Amen. I didn't die on the cross. Wake up, wake up. And then the next verse is quite simply, remember. Remember then what you received and heard. You know the worst part of my workouts? Here's the worst part. The first five minutes, <laughs> right? We're on the treadmill and starting to run, and I'm going, oh, man, I really should be taking a nap right now. <laughs> and, oh, and it just, and then I start to remember, oh, remember how good you're going to feel when you're over. 
Remember how strong you feel when you, when you do this. Remember how great you sleep when you're working out. Remember how, how uh, physically vital and alive. Remember how easy it is to travel. I mean, all, I start remembering all these things. And, I remember, and that first five minutes of absolute torture when I'm not awake yet, but I'm not into the workout yet. And you go, oh, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. This is so awesome. Do you remember? Do you remember when you read the Bible and the pages just jumped, the words just jumped off the page and you go, oh my gosh, and you started underlining and writing down? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you used to pray and you were worshiping God and crying out to him and it's like you could reach out and touch him. His presence was so near and powerful. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you shared your faith and you were absolutely scared to death and you thought that person would spit in your face, but they didn't, and they actually listened to what you had to say, and they came to church? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you would come into church and you'd worship and, and, and your spirit would leapt in joy for the greatness and the majesty and the goodness of God? Jesus says, remember Remember all that stuff I used to do in your life? Do it again. Do it again. Don't fall asleep on your Savior. Keep it alive. Keep it active. Keep attentive, alert. Let his, let his scripture speak to you every morning. Cry out to him in prayer. Share your faith. Come together with other believers. All these things, remember, remember, because Jesus is alive. Amen? Jesus is alive. And then the third thing, quite simply, Jesus says is this. Repent. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. Repent. Bring your sluggishness to Jesus. Bring your spiritual stupor to Jesus. Bring your inertia to Jesus. Confess it for what it is. Confess it and repent and let him make you alive again. Make you alive again. That is the message of the letter to Sardis. One last thing I want to say, and uh, then we'll have communion. This will give you an opportunity to confess some of these things. Jesus says this. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. This metaphor, coming life a thief of the night, is a metaphor, a doctrine called the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the Gospels, through the epistles, to the very end of the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. The very last words of this book presents a Savior who can come back at any time. It's why we should be awake. It presents a Jesus who can return at any time. And the metaphor is, Jesus said it himself. Jesus said these words. He, he said, 
If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. It's one of the doctrines. Because imagine Simon. Simon is wrapping up his day, long Sunday, takes out his cell phone, and he gets a calendar invitation. Calendar invitation to Simon Bardone from a thief seeking to schedule robbery of your house 2 a.m. in the morning except decline reschedule <laughs> and Simon goes I think I'll reschedule when I'm out of town <laughs> that seems like a safe thing to do <laughs> right no you don't get a calendar invitation from a thief in the night am I right doesn't happen you don't have an opportunity to accept decline reschedule it just happens. Jesus can come at any moment, any time. Paul said it this way. If we can put up our last scripture. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. There it is, right? You see it? Like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But here's the point. And here's the point of the letter to Sardis, my friends. You, however, are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you as a thief. For you are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep, but let's be awake and sober. If you know Jesus today, the thief should never surprise you because you are a child of light and not of darkness. And then as a child of light, you don't sleep your life away but you live it in a way where you are awake, alert, and sober. If the band could come on up here, we're going to wrap up our morning for an opportunity to really come to Jesus and let his tapping on our heart cause us to repent. If you're a believer here today, you are a child of the light. Jesus has changed your life. And I urge you, please, live like it. Be the person God has created you to be. Be that person. Live in the light of the gospel. If you don't know Christ here today and this whole church thing is kind of weird to you, speak with someone, I please. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a fantasy. It's not a science fiction novel. This is the reality of what Jesus can do to transform our lives so that may we live with him. But for those of you that know him, Here's an opportunity to take of the bread that was broken on our behalf and dip it into the cup with his, his shed blood and take in his death on our behalf.
before you do that, maybe just don't run up there. But may, take a moment for the Spirit to tap on your heart and show you where the rod is and confess those things and get freedom and cleansing in him. A couple of stations here, one at the front, one at the back, one upstairs. If I know that our, we have brothers and sisters that have gluten intolerance and there's a gluten-free station in the back. But may we pray, may I uh, pray for us as we wrap up this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this ancient letter. This letter to a church in a city called Sardis. A city that on the outward appearances looked, everything looked good. Their Facebook feed was fabulous. (laughs) But inside, they were empty and dead, just like that bathroom floor. And Lord, we confess to you that many times that's exactly how we feel. That we're just keeping up appearances. And our heart needs you. So Lord, we come today confessing. We confess our addiction to outward appearances. And we ask that you might transform our hearts. Change us, Lord, we pray, from the inside out. Lord, we come to take communion today as an act of repentance whereby you meet us, you forgive us, and you change us forever from the inside out. Do that work, Lord, we pray, in this moment, in this room, in this hour, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to Grace City Portland 